1: episode of iBuzz, the animal care and welfare podcast by Animal Concepts and the Practical Animal Welfare Science, the Pause platform. I'm your host, Sabrina Brando, and today I am delighted to welcome Jerry Crichton, who is the Elephant Care and Welfare Consultant through Global Elephant Care. Welcome, Jerry.
0: Hi, Sabrina. Thank you for having me on.
1: Exciting. I'm really looking forward to talking all about elephants and of course other animals will pop in because you have worked for a very long time in the zoo field and of course a lot of people know you from your elephant work. Um, So please uh, give us a very short introduction to yourself.
0: Yes, I mean Jerry Creighton, I was the operations manager for the animals and grounds and and in charge of the elephant care program at Dublin Zoo for over 36 years. Second rene- second generation zookeeper. My father worked there for 52 years, so I've been around the zoo since I was barely able to walk. So I had a long history associated with Dublin Zoo. And then at the end of this year, or at the end of 2020, I decided that I wanted to go out there and, and uh, set up my own business as an elephant care consultant. You know, offering offering advice to to um, elephant people all over the world.
1: That's just wonderful and that's amazing such a long time in the zoo and you know family can you talk a little bit about you know how did you come to the zoo obviously through you know your dad but uh, what did you do at the zoo and how did you work your way up there's a lot of people who want to get into the zoo sphere how did you do that and what animals did you work with
0: yeah I was lucky as I said it was it was a real interesting culture when we were younger and we lived quite close to the zoo my father was the the lion keeper at the zoo and and at the weekends then the keepers would bring their kids into the zoo and it was like a big family event. It was like our own little private club. It was great. And the, the keepers' kids would would go to what we call the pets corner then. It was where all the small little animals were like you know, late baby lambs, you'd get the bottle feed and handle rabbits and chickens, and it was a very popular area. But it actually was, you know, what we didn't realize at the time. It actually spawned a whole generation of zookeepers because you could, you know, you developed your interest from a young age, your love of animals, and you you could actually see the people then from a young age that wanted to work with animals. So a lot a lot of future keepers were, were harvested from. From um, the actual zookeeper kids, uh, there's been quite a few that their fathers worked in the zoo, like me. So you would work with, you know, at the family farm, the pets corner, help there, then with the animals. When I was, you know, 15, 16, then I was able to go around and, and clean the zoo, you know, and pick, you know, pick up litter. A very important part of the job, having your zoo presentable. And again, that 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 spawned the kind of next generation of zookeepers in the zoo. Then some guys left, some went on to do other things, and. But all i ever wanted to be he was there in the zoo so when i was 16 then i got a a sort a, a, like a trainee keeper position and um, walking alongside my dad and he he was well before his time he had a great imagination on how to improve um you know animal care and wellness and create mental stimulation and mental wellness for 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 his animals in his care many many years ago when it wasn't even heard of it remember them putting in different substrates into the lion's cages. I mean, that's all they were then was cages, just for them to have something different for, for mental stimulation with different scents and smells. But I I, I worked then as a trainee keeper, uh, eventually then, um, particularly with the cats, apes, and elephants, and the elephants um, obviously are, 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 are and were are a strong passion of mine. I then became a team leader in the zoo, which was responsible for a, de- a designated area which involved large cats, apes and of course the elephants so uh, I managed then a team of about 10 or 12 people at the time and then over 15 years ago then I was promoted again to uh, operations manager for animals and grounds which meant I looked after the whole of the zoo and the zoo you know has been incredibly lucky over the last 20-30 years we've, we've had a transformation that um has brought us right up there to, to one of the finest zoos in the world where habitats were created that that were based on, you know, obviously the physical and social needs of animals and, and that created that strong mental wellness approach where we knew, you know, we, we we looked at the animals and took the inspiration from their biology and from the wild and we've created, you know, a wonderful zoo and it's just been incredible to be a part of it and still be a part of it now even though I've I've now worked in, um, on my consultancy role um, throughout the world. Um, I, I'm still very much the, the elephant care consultant for Dublin Zoo. So exciting times, exciting times, and it was great to be part of.
1: Absolutely. That's really wonderful to hear. And also already this whole culture of care and attending to the mental well-being of animals uh, for such a long time that's really really great and mental well-being is the topic this month on the practical animal welfare science platform so it's very exciting to hear how your dad and then of course many others including yourself have worked with that and are still working with that so that's really really great so can you uh, share with us because we all love some really good you know animal stories care stories uh, maybe some of the changes that were made at the Dublin Zoo for animals, and in, in including, of course, elephants, who we're going to hear a lot about. Can you share some of those stories with us?
0: Yeah, I mean, again, again, like Dublin Zoo was what it was. It's one of the third, I think, the third oldest zoo in the world. One of the old Victorian zoos, with um, you know, with with, with problems that we inherited from a previous generation where where the inspiration behind the design then was confinement. It was to confine these animals in a, in a safe manner. And, you know, um, you know, the, 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 the biology or the physiology, none of the, none of the key components for animal wellness and, and welfare and mental stimulation were not considered. And we know that, but listen, we wouldn't be where we are today without having evolved through them years. Unfortunately, we know animals didn't have the choices and opportunities they now have, but you know, we, we, in, in the 90s, um, the uh, we were at that crossroads, particularly with our elephants, and many of, of, of our exhibits were in the zoo because they had such a wide range of structural and husbandry problems that we really had to look at the, the zoo. And we actually went to the public and said, do you want the zoo in your city? And the, and the support was, yes, we want the zoo. And then the government um, stepped in and said, okay, we just cannot have uh, the zoo um in its old historical format where, you know, animals just paced back and forward, lions were kept in a big old lion house, you know, you know apes and, and, and monkeys in barren cages that offered nothing, only again, as I say, confinement. So we, we, we realized that we needed to really up our game. It, the, the, the park, the zoo was in a beautiful location. It's in, in, uh, in the Phoenix park, it's about 90 acres, but the park itself is 1,760 acres in the heart of the city. So, you know, lucky enough, we still had room for expansion and we got government money. The government stepped in, gave us significant money to to reinvent ourselves as a zoo and some absolutely beautiful, mature woodland trees and a lake that was part of the president of Ireland's land. So, like, you know, to get this absolutely unbelievably mature, beautiful landscapes that you would pay many many millions of dollars to recreate gave us an opportunity to move all our large animals from the the old historical part of the zoo up into the african plains and we we just you know we just went back to nature we went back to how these animals live, what they need to thrive and strive in, in human care. And we created magnificent habitats. And I like one example, which I really love is our gorilla habitat and where these animals are constantly interacting with with nature. There's a seasonal variation in, in, in the, um, in, in the habitats. Like, uh, I mean, I know a lot of zoos like to use Semrock and different kinds of fixed structures for me, for apes and for, for, uh, intelligent animals we should should be trying to look beyond that and and i'm not trying to create a movie set but try to create something that fluctuates with the seasons where opportunities you know arise in springtime as the grass shoots out and as new leaves and new flowers and new buds appear on on the trees so an example was our gorilla habitat which we planted over 15,000 plants 200 different species all edible for the gorillas and um, they, we gave them natural trees, you know, 10, 15 meter tall trees that they could climb up. We created a mixed exhibit with cherry-capped mangabees. And to see the, the behavioral repertoire change in the gorillas from the old Typical, you know, it was like a fishbowl where people could walk all around it with a with a fixed con- or fixed climbing platform that offered offered no movement, and that people could just gaze at them all day to create in a habitat with wild flowers with with a big species where animals could come together and to see how the gorillas, you know, their DNA and how they tapped right back into how gorillas live. And at certain times of the year, you would see them picking certain buds off a plant. Then they'd stop because obviously there would be a change in the plant as it grew. And to see them interact with all these natural substrates, to have that wonderful binocular vision that they could see down the F- Phoenix Park up to five or 10 kilometers. And to see how quickly they, 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 they re, readapted to, to a situation from what was a pretty sterile environment to a dynamic you know, uh, that provided incredible mental stimulation for a, for a, for a, an, inte- an intelligent animal. To see how they readapted and got into that was magnificent. And, you know, we, we've just seen such natural behavior. And, you know, it, it's like with gorillas and apes, I understand that we, you know, you of course we have to have access. We need to be able to train them to get close to them to 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 be able to borrow some moments of their life for, for, for their wellness and for their care. But with the likes of our gorillas and our elephant habitats, when we created these. What we found is, you know, the, 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 and what I like to say is the, the modern zookeeper is, is an architect of the animal's environment. You, you create these opportunities for them to, to, you know, apply appropriate species-specific behaviors. And what we found, like, you know, particularly with our elephants as well, when we created all these opportunities on a daily basis, By allowing feeding opportunities, scratching, swimming, social groupings. The more we stood back from the elephants and the less we interfered in their world, the more appropriate elephant behavior and ape behavior we witnessed. But it was just about giving them the choice, the opportunity control. So that's what's made me very proud about the transformation of of Dublin Zoo. And the director that we had, Leo Ustevägel, who only recently retired, was was great vision, great visionary for, for what he'd done for the zoo. And change the whole culture of of the people coming into the city too they come to the zoo now with respect if you don't see an animal they're patient they understand that you know in in our zoo animals come first and people come second so it's been an incredible journey and uh, where it's all been solidly based on the needs of the animal animals and not necessarily what the visitors want now we we know that we have to have you know beautiful Beautiful areas for people to view the animals, but the animals have, are, are, are empowered with choice, opportunity and control to manage their own days. So for me, that's been a big inspiration.
1: Yes, absolutely, and I still, you know, remember visiting Dublin Zoo. Although it's already many years ago, so we certainly have to <laughs> come back. But I remember, you know, the gorillas high up in the trees. You have beautiful pictures online also of gorillas high up in the trees looking out and at different times of the day as well, and fantastic interactions between gorillas and mangabees, and uh, yeah, just absolutely really inspiring also like you talk about vision you talk about architects you know really looking and thinking about what is needed here habitat management so that animals can you know make choices have control have agency in their environment such important and wonderful to hear uh, such a history and such a development and as you say rightly so you know we wouldn't be there without critical thinking about through going through that evolution of change. And that's, uh, and of course, many changes have been made to, you know, specific elephant care and, uh, the work that you, you know, do and still, um, and did. So maybe you can talk a little bit about, you know, where did you start? How did you, you know, make changes and, and some of the core aspects we have to get right for elephants.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, obviously, we, we, we again, we had a house for elephants that was built in the 50s, built by architects um, from a different era. And again, as I mentioned, the, the criteria was containment, easy to clean concrete floors where there was no reference to how, you know, an incredibly smart, intelligent sentiment being should, should live appropriately and be given to care. And this is one of the, the, the things that um, Really concern me about elephants because they're incredibly charismatic. We all we love elephants. We love them for for many different reasons. You know, some cultural beliefs, some some circus beliefs. Some people believe it's good to ride them. You know, in in, in certain countries. But um, but the point was that we we regardless of because of their charismatic you know appeal we we were happy to keep them under any conditions you know we were happy to just put them back into a trailer or put them back into a small little confined area because we wanted to be near them and and that had to change so we 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 at Dublin had elephants for many many years and again it was kept in, in conditions that did nothing to 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 allow them to have the stimulation either physically or mentally that's required for such an intelligent animal. So we looked at that. We we were at the crossroads of where we could take nothing from the past in terms of how we managed elephants, but we did have a very solid vision for the future. And you know, I, uh, the director again, as I said, Leo Stavagel was. Uh, was key in, in saying we, we can't we, we can't continue to manage elephants the way we have been, you know, at Dublin Zoo and um, where, you know, none of their needs, none of their needs w- was met. And we had two old females, Judy and Kirsty, um, that were, were, were born at Chester Zoo or came from Chester Zoo originally. And they they were starting to get older and they were starting to get a little bit more. Uh, aggressive you know and, and, and potentially dangerous as, as a lot of elephants from that generation came but for me the biggest worry was when I went in there in the morning in free contact I worked a free contact, contact situation with these elephants and you had to carry your hook that's what the elephant did but I, it used to kill me that these animals would, would, would think that there was a consequence for me coming into their world. And no animals should live in human care under the fear of, of, of violence. And that's what it is. You hit an elephant with a hook, it's violent. Or you dominate them, it's violent. And, uh, you know, it's something that I totally disagreed with. And it made me very, feel very uneasy that these elephants, you know, when they hear the key coming in the door in the morning, that there's potentially a consequence for them if they don't cooperate in such an artificial environment to to, to fulfill my needs because I want them to go inside or go outside. So it was all wrong. So we, we said, OK, we want elephants at our zoo, but we need a progressive elephant thinking system. We need a whole philosophical change, you know, how to to give these animals the opportunity to live a genuine, authentic life on their terms with the choices and opportunities that we mentioned. And, you know, so we looked at them, we, we, the inspiration, well, where do we go to? Well, we we didn't want to go to a login camp. We didn't want to go to another zoo. You know, we said, looked at the animal, the anatomy of the elephant, had all the answers for the design of the facility that we needed and nature has all the inspiration. So we went back to the Kaziranga National Park in India and looked at how these elephants live. And of course, what we know now is that social grouping is the key component to elephants thriving in human care. They have to have that investment. And in one another they have to have that relationship with one another to, to 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 create a meaningful life that and where because they love investing in one another they love caring about one another you know they love being together they like have a feeding repertoire a sleeping repertoire that's based on a a, a community a community-based relationship with a matriarch and her offspring and then extended members of the family so we were lucky then the three elephants related elephants from from um Rotterdam were becoming available. Their herd had reached the capacity and the opportunity was, to, uh, was for them to come to Dublin. But we scrapped. We scrapped everything from the past. We knocked down the old house. We looked at the elephant anatomy, as I mentioned. How does the trunk work? Well, we know it's 40,000 muscles. It needs to pull, tear, stretch. So, you know, creating high feeding opportunities. Sand flooring. We have a, a seven foot deep sand floor inside sand for elephants has been one of the a real game changer the type of sand is is critically important um it's not like builder sand we use sand from an estuary of a river uh, the particles around um it's like the elephant sleeping on a bed of marbles but to see elephants laying down and sleeping and interacting with this substrate when elephant birds happen to see all the amniotic fluid absorbed in has been incredible so we looked at the elephants we looked at how they lived socially how they fed over an 18-hour day you know either searching or looking for food and we looked at how they slept and we, we gave them all these opportunities with a specifically designed habitat that allowed all this expression and as I said, as I mentioned earlier, you now the keepers in the morning go out there, they make topography landscape changes, they create opportunities on a daily basis that um, the elephants engage with you know, where they can climb or stretch or bend naturally. And you know, they create this thought process. And you're talking about mental wellness and mental well-being. And, and we know. The, the 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 spindle neuron or von Econom in the elephant's brain—they need challenges. They they don't want easy feeding. They don't want to they don't want to feed off the ground. They want to they want to lift and tear and pull. So by creating all these wonderful opportunities, we we have created an incredibly um, efficient herd that invests in one another, that cared about one another by simply you know developing a habitat in in a, in a human care in a zoo environment that allows all these these needs to be addressed.
1: Wonderful. There's just so many details there, you know, from, of course, the physical aspects of, you know, what it means to be elephants to, you know, social. There's just so many details. And as you also say, you know, what do we know from how they live in the wild? What have people studying animals in the wild found that we can take to make our programs, our facilities better? And you make such another important point is that we often go you know, and see other facilities and maybe share protocols or, you know, ways of working or nutrition sheets and everything else. But it's not really necessarily asking the question, Is are these you know, the, or we say everybody should be at the table. Uh, are the right people at the table? Do we have, you know, the experts that might not be working within our facilities but are working in other places? Are they helping us think this through? Do we use, you know, the latest science and information rather than, you know, copying stuff uh, without necessarily thinking it through? So, thank you so much for making lots of really important points, including also some of the things that we should uh, stop doing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And they said you need to back it up with science. One of the one of the the other very rewarding parts of, of the program was with, with Dublin is that we substantiated and backed up um, what we did in terms of we we done foraging studies, we done locomotion studies on on how the the spatial use was, was being used by the elephants, and we were able to adjust. The habitat to make because they like destinations they like to move around resource movement they like it to be a journey around the habitat with a, with a meaningful end which generally is either a food or something that they can interact with but by 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 backing up our elephant program with solid science we have shown a very authentic life in human care we've done this one of our keepers brendan walsh done a sleep study and shown prove that our elephants are now it's not the wild and i understand that argument but the point is we have shown that we have transformed uh, elephant care and you you know in in, in with with humans and um, to a level that creates a wonderful authentic you know lifestyle so back up your elephant program with solid science that gives you the answers on how much they move how much they sleep how much they're foraging. And then, you know, when you do that and you do these really important scientific studies, you can adjust and you can add and, you know, self-evaluate. That's, the, that's what made our program so successful. every year we stood back, Sabrina, and said, okay, what can we do different this year? What do we need to reevaluate? You know, what do we need to do? So, you know, um, I think what made our elephant program so successful was when the day we opened the brand new habitat in 2006. I said to the keepers, I gathered all my keepers around. now, I said, "The journey only starts now. The, the journey only starts. Don't think that we have cre- we we have it all done now because we've created a new habitat and it's so different to what we had historically. Our journey only starts now. with self-evaluation, scientific approach, and watching our animals and seeing seeing how they how they're living in this wonderful habitat that we created."
1: Absolutely. It's dynamic. It's something that's always evolving. And we always have to, you know, keep asking questions, keep looking and responding to the animals. So true. It's an ongoing process. And, you know, we will, with this podcast provide some links to obviously your work and, you know, anybody really listening, if you just have to kind of Google, you know, your name and elephants and Dublin zoo and lots of images pop up and including the ones of, you know, animals sleeping and all together in and big sand mounds and huddled up. And, and it's just wonderful in, in your stories about using technology, using cameras, you know, looking at how they sleep and how do you fit the feeding that animals do in the hours that we're not there all around it is just really inspirational. So um, yeah, that's just wonderful. Thank you so much for all of that.
0: No problem. And what we need to do now is, you know, we, we like the zoo communities are working closer than ever, and you know, for 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 a key species like elephants that historically hasn't done well in human care, we must accept that. But you know, the transformation over the last twenty years to elephant care and wellness by by adapting, you know, certain features to how they live and and how they can sleep and feed, etc. But you know, I mean, certainly I'm available to help anybody. I don't, whatever the situation is, because we must you know, kind of hold hands now together and walk in a line together for the betterment of these animals and how they live in, 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 in when we take care of them and, and, you know, to give them all these decisions. So and don't be afraid to reach out. And just because if your facility is not quite as good as the one up the road, you can still do changes. You can still, you know, you can still do significant significant things that will create mental and physic- physical stimulation for your elephants. You know, everything is, you know, regardless of what, what your situation is. Everything is there for improvement. So, you know, please don't be, be um, for people to listen, don't be afraid to reach out because, you know, there's so much goodwill there. And, um, you know, and I, I certainly would be very happy to help any, any zoo or any person or any people. Um, all I want is the key ingredient, the key ingredient is to care for these animals and give them the best opportunity. And if somebody cares for elephants like I do, I gladly help them any way I can.
1: Excellent. Well, we're definitely going to link to obviously your company. Uh, But of course, we want to hear a lot more about elephants. And like you say, you know, not everybody is necessarily in the same situation or has the same opportunities as Dublin Zoo, but there's always something you can do. Can you talk a little bit uh, about your ideas of elephants in zoos who are not in family herds yet or who are by themselves? Uh, What are some of the things that people could be thinking of there?
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, historically, you know, um, the 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 these young elephants were taken away as neonatals um, in zoos. Thankfully, it stopped, but a lot of them were put together, and a lot of elephants just have an acceptance of of sharing the same space and accepting and sharing the same space and having a cohesive, meaningful relationship with, with, with a with another elephant that's in the herd um, is 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 very very different. So, you know, you need to to assess, and I understand a lot of people have inherited these these situations, but. You know, it, there's so much you can do for elephants that are in together that don't necessarily get on or just tolerate each other. And it's like giving them space, putting in physical barriers like log piles, sand piles, you know, but when, when elephants um, are, are, their need of, of, as an intelligent species, when you're, you're, you're given prolonged feeding patterns, when you're given opportunities for searching and you get, you can create a lot more of a tolerant, tolerance level. So, you know, profile your elephants, look at them, look at their physical capabilities, you know, obviously if there's a geriatric elephant, it's not going to be good or it has to have all its feeding opportunities trying to stand and, and stretch up and feed from a net. So, but profile, profile your elephant, you know, what, what it's been exposed to in the past um, can also be very, very, um, can, can determine how it lives presently in terms of its social skills. And so, you know, create multiple feeding opportunities, spreading food out, you know, there's so many things that you can do, and you know, and then you, you there is single elephants that's on their own. And I know there's recommendations that every elephant should have company, but that, that, that's not necessarily going to work out. And this is something that you know needs to be discussed because I know certain organisations have said, okay, you need to keep a minimum of three or four elephants. But I know of where that where where they tried to put three or four elephants of. Um, with, from circuses or, or with historical backgrounds that didn't allow for normal elephant behavior and you try to put them together and all all hell breaks loose. So that has to be um, treaded very carefully because the reality is there is some elephants and I hate to say it but they're, they're products of a different generation and they're, they're products of critical decisions that were made in at, at, at critical times in their life that produced this elephant are, and, and a behaviour that's probably not acceptable. So you know they, they, they don't they don't all mix together. So if you have a single elephant, you know keep it busy, keep it active. But it, sometimes social bringing in another elephant is not the solution. That's the reality of what I'm trying to say because they 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 can actually be better on their own. Or what we need to do is to strive to make sure it doesn't happen in the future. And and that's what's happening in the situation in Dublin where we have in herd birds we don't get involved all the herd members are there all the herd members celebrate as new life comes tumbling to the sand floor all the young females are pushed in and to see this bird process to hit to witness and hear the sights and smells and sounds that are unique to this moment we take a step back and watch from our cameras so it's elephants investing in elephants you know when we had when our boat was mating one of the females or one of our cows is in estrus. we allow them to have a sleepover in the bull house all herd members move into the bull house for the couple of days that the female is in estrus. the young bulls are around the bull they know how to react they know they see their witnesses they're only as good as the information that you're giving them so expose them in a you know to everything that they can learn from other elephants i mean we cannot teach them anything about being an elephant elephant learns elephants learn from elephants and you know we've seen the birds, the, the, the Easter cycles, you know, the bull, young bulls having a sleepover in the bullhouse when he's mating the females. But just think of the information and learning that's being handed down to these young herd members. So, you know, I know that any elephants that leave Dublin Zoo um, in the future, have the whole positive repertoire of elephant behaviour. They have all this information that they can tap into, and that will make them successful breeding males or successful females. You know, in the future, because it's about elephants teaching elephants. But we still have a duty to care to these elephants that's in in their zo- in the zoos. You know, profile your older elephants, see what you can do to 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 uh, stimulate them. It's amazing. What you what you have to remember is it's amazing how much they can tap into their their their, their old DNA their, their, that's been in their body for thousands and thousands of years. When you I've seen elephants being given a sand pile for the first time and how they lay down on it and stretch on it and throw over it and interact with it. You know, um it, it, you know, their 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 repertoire, their natural repertoire is uh is, is always ready to be uh, exposed to positive situations so they'll surprise you they'll surprise you you know so just don't be afraid to, to try you know opportunities to do but always have it a reference point back to something that they would naturally do in the wild no gimmicks no circus games no standing on you know silly silly stuff you know creating that's like the enrichment that we're, we're very we're, we're, we're very focused on in dublin zoo and is is that, uh, you know, enrichment for me is kind of a word that somebody uses when something is badly designed. But when you design... You know, we, we give them root balls of trees that they pull and tear rather than, you know, car tires. You know, you, you give an elephant a car tire, you're losing a message there with your visitors. You know, this intelligent animal plays with a car tire. We've we got to start thinking better than that. And we we use a whole browse. You know, we, we grow 10,000 silver birch trees every year for our elephants. You know, and I know not every zoo would have the same resources, and particularly now with the difficult Um situation that the COVID has brought to zoos globally but you know link in with your link in with your gardeners your 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 horticulturists your tree surgeons there's always ways of and and solutions reach out to the community and you can you can um, be surprised what's out there to enhance your your elephant's lifestyles
1: absolutely that's such a great point there's always you know like you say connect with the community your municipality you know when it's safe you can maybe use some of the the trees or other materials and and it's always a really interesting and important discussion right uh, with if you don't have those opportunities then how can you you know maybe create affordances for animals opportunities for animals with uh, non-natural you know obviously it's it's preferred if we can but if you can't then what there's always things you can do so and how do you move Towards the 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 better ways of interacting and caring for these animals, right? Yeah, such a such a important uh, and good discussions to have around there. And how you know dealing with integrations and solving social problems or single-housed elephants uh, or males, you know, how do we do that? And how do we move per animal per facility to better care and better well-being for those uh, elephants in those facilities? And of course, you mentioned research being important. You talked about sleep studies. Are there other, you know, types of research uh, topics that you would like to see happen in the near future?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, as I say, we, 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 we understand, you know, elephants in, in, in human care, and particularly in the zoo environment, there can be limitations on, on, on your space issue. But again, it's how you utilize that space. And, and, and as I mentioned, on many occasions, it's quality of life. Yeah, uh, over quantity of space. Now it's, it's good if you have both. But with our with our locomotion study, we were able to, and, and if anybody's interested in the studies, they can just email me and I can send them on. We 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 were able to map every every single square meter of our elephant habitat but inside and out, and then do the sampling testing of how much they were they were traveling. And this was resource movement, you know, with with, with hoists dropping up and down, um moving all around the habitat for resource movement, Not, no stereotypical behavior involved here at all resource movement. And we were able to establish very quickly um, certain parts of the habitat that they weren't going to. And the reason why they weren't going there because nothing was happening there. So it was only maybe a simple solution of putting a log pile in that corner and creating an opportunity there. But we got to a point where our elephants were moving and resource moving, you know, looking for food or looking for opportunities for the same as wild elephants. Our, our bull elephant was, was walking for 15 kilometers per day and the cows and calves were, were, are, are moving between 10 and 12 kilometers. You know, meaningful, purposeful movement. And, you know, so, you, you know, by using your locomotion studies, your foraging studies your sleep studies particularly with elephants it can it can give you the opportunity to provide resources where they're going to be used effectively and not, and not not wasted so by a solid scientific program you know even things like what we learned about the elephants in the sleep study was some like topography landscape some like a mound some like a flat surface some like you know sleeping near the door or so we were able to to uh, to to change the topography of the of the of the indoor habitat when you come in at night to sleep and they always have choice they can go in and out when they want but the point is we were able to to make the bedroom ready for whatever way they wanted based on studying them on our cameras um studying them under looking at the little coalitions the relationships you could see who's really bonded with who very important decisions too if you're if you know if you get to a point where you you have to split the herd or and and create for elephants to go somewhere else to maybe potentially breed, having a full understanding of them relationships over a 24-hour period, uh, 365 days a year, you'll understand the important coalitions that will, which could potentially be successful, or or the impact it could have. On the elephants that you leave behind if you don't make the correct decisions on on you know on, on relationships based on solid science so yeah like i mean I, i'm a big advocate of it i've seen the benefits of it i've seen the benefits to the elephants you know how they live and how we've been able to adjust feeding you know routines and opportunities and changing habitat topographies and it's created an, as i said a real authentic meaningful life You've got to be thinking outside the box here, you know. Thinking and, and as I said, the elephants will give you the answers. And the more you, the more opportunities you give them, the le, you know the more appropriate elephant behavior you're going to witness.
1: Yes, absolutely. I you remind me of uh, I believe it's the Dallas Zoo where they had also they were also tracking in the the distance that the elephants were walking. Yeah. And uh, and looking at you know how to distribute and things and like you say having you know places to go and the purpose of why we're doing these things. Uh, for the animals, right? So uh, there's so many wonderful research projects out there of different zoos trying to gain insights and you make another really important distinction between care, the things that we're doing for animals and, you know, the experiences of the animals themselves and how we, through research and, you know, all kinds of different observations can tweak Like you, you know, talking about the different types of surfaces and sand and close to a door and not so that with the feedback of what you're seeing, what you're hearing and all the other things, you're making decisions on how, you know, to improve the care. And that is so important to also keep separate the things that we do for animals and then trying to understand what do they think and feel about everything that is provided to them. Um,
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. You're customizing your program to seek suit the elephant's na- needs at various different life stages and life cycles of their life. You know, what the calves will want to interact with be very different to what an older elephant will. But, but creating, a, say, for example, a very large sand mound that goes two, three meters high will allow a geriatric or older, older elephant to lay down much easier because she doesn't have to drop as far to the ground. She can manipulate her body into a better position. So, you know, all, all, all these are key components to... To, you know comfort and mental wellness you know the elephant knows that it has this opportunity to 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 live and, and to have comfort and to have you know what it deserves you know in in human care so you know we're, we're, we're making great strides we are making great strides and but you know it's great I'm very happy to say that a lot of what we're doing in Dublin Zoo is now outdated uh, in terms of you know feeders and other different stuff so we're, we're moving on to the next generation and and uh, of elephant care But well, you know We all need to support one another. We need to, you know, be there to help one another, be there to share this information. And then ultimately what we will have then is, you know, a a global standard of elephant care. And that's my wish that there's still too many variations. And I understand the reasons. They can be resources. It can be cultural. It can be, you know, there's many different factors, but we need to, the, to, to, to you know, work together to create global standards of care, global standards of elephant keeping, where keepers are trained and they could practically walk into any zoo and, and, and create the same standards. So that's what I'd like to see. That's something I feel very passionate about. We're still a long way off a consistent um, care program that you know that, 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 that's global. I understand the reasons why, but it certainly should be our aspirations to know that. Um, all elephants that are in human care have a similar standard of of quality living that allows for the mental stimulation the physical stimulation the social needs and the opportunities and choices to live a meaningful life
1: absolutely that this is really so important and i i'd love the attitude of you know we're happy it's outdated in the sense of this is a, a continuous dynamic process it's evolving we have to you know Um, be on our toes, you know, to really, you know, do the best that we can for animals, 24-7, you know, the details of, you know, what is it that a young animal wants, or what is it that an older animal needs, like you just illustrated, so beautiful, so what are these individuals, and, you know, can we all ultimately kind of sing the same song when it comes to caring for animals in human care, and you do that of course through, you know, your invited speaker all over the world, uh, you travel, you go to conferences, you and I met at a lab animal conference once where we were talking about our work but you know it's so wonderful this kind of interdisciplinary approach right and you have a new consultancy company which you mentioned uh, earlier in the podcast um, global elephant care and can you talk a little bit uh, in the last minutes here in the podcast about you know some of your uh, inspirations aspirations and the future and perhaps close on a wonderful positive elephant story
0: yeah, I mean a, a, exactly. What, what like uh, the reason why I set up the it was a consultancy business? I would be very lucky to be mentored by Alan Rucroft who who has an incredible knowledge and has seen elephants in every situation. And Alan, Alan Alan continues to do that for me. But I just felt like so much information that I could get out there because I I came from the old historical free contact, you know, barren uh, style cage stroke enclosure for elephants and how we evolved on a journey of, of discovery for elephants and what they need and how they thrive and to see nine elephant birds in Dublin zoo over a decade, every one of them hundred percent successful with all the herd members present. And, you know, to see what we've learned along the way and um, to, to, to give authentic, you know, lifestyles to these elephants. I just feel there's so much more I can teach. And I, and I speak, you know, so passionately about elephants in my life. And I want to, as again, I want to, I want to see a, a, you know, a synchronized management approach across the globe. And I believe by the more I can get out there and do that. And I'm still very much associated with Dublin Zoo. I'm still this, you know, the senior elephant care consultant there. So I still have my, my historical association. But, you know, it's time to get out there and, and motivate and inspire the next generation of, of, of zookeepers and inspire the current generation of elephant keepers that does hope that there's somebody there that can help. And, you know, and ultimately the elephants are the ones that will that will benefit from 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 this situation. And it was like, you know, the elephants that we originally took into Dublin Zoo and this they they were managed in a free contact situation. Um, And one of these elephants had become. Troublesome, you know, she wasn't a bad elephant. There was just critical, as I mentioned before, decisions were made at critical times of her, of her life that created a personality that didn't um, do well in, in in free contact, and and she became quite an aggressive elephant. But when she came to Dublin, and she she came into. Uh, This, you know, a a, a protected contact situation where she was reward based training, where she had the choices and opportunities to walk away if she wanted from the training sessions or when she was doing foot care or whatever the case may be. She never did. She actually bought into this because there was no consequence, only positive consequences for being in the presence of of me and the elephant keepers at the zoo who work so passionately to help this elephant. And now she has reached her potential as a mother, as a matriarch, all her births in Dublin Zoo were 100% successful. And to see her transform you know, into uh, an elephant where you know, her, her whole normal repertoire of behaviour was reinstated and that she was able to function and live and behave like an elephant was incredibly rewarding.
1: Yes, it is. And like you say, there's such an important word also, hope. The hope um, that we can make things better and that we can see these sorts of transformations for facility and so importantly for all the individual animals, including elephants, in human care. And yeah, thank you so much, Jerry, for coming on to this podcast today and sharing your passion of caring for animals, caring for elephants and, you know, making a difference in this world through everything that you do. Thanks so
0: much. Serena, thanks very much for the opportunity. And, and um, as I say, your paw site is an incredible resource for all us people all over the world. And thank you for all the work that you do for us.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much for being part of that. So the end of another podcast, and of course, it is important to acknowledge that well-being for you and your animals is too important not to get right. And at Animal Concepts, we help you care for animals and for yourself to be at your best to achieve excellence in animal care and welfare. And Pause is the first online platform combining human and animal well-being science and practice where you can get the education and tools and resources you need so you and the animals in your care can flourish. So follow the link in the podcast description to become a pause member today.